Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we are twinned with the British Sitcom History Podcast to talk about a sitcom film spin-off, The Inbetweeners. So joining me, Alan, is Sol. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> doing, doing the theme that's tune the from theme the tune. British Sitcom History Podcast. Yes, thanks to Tom O'Fallows. <laughs> Ooh, uh, speaking of Tom O'Fallows... Uh, thanks for that snazzy new remix that uh, you've just heard. He, he's sent in, Alan. He sent us like a combo mashup of both theme yeah. tunes to use, which is pretty mm. cool. Very good. And joining us from the British Sitcom History Podcast is Gareth. All right, Wankers. Uh, <laughs> uh, see what I did. As part of the British Sitcom History Podcast, we are looking at the in-betweeners. Um, that will be going out. Uh, very shortly, if you're listening to this as it goes out, the, that those episodes will be going out the weeks after. But right now, oh, we're, we're kicking off with this on the f- the film. Yeah, so we talk about the film because mm. that's what we do. The in between this movie, yes, movie, not the in between this film. Americanism. It never quite. Well, I, I've seen I've seen one case where they use film in the name of a film, which is Keith Lemon the film, and it was just a. <laughs> It was a really tragic reminder of just how low budget and British the whole affair was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if they want to call it the Inbetweeners movie, whatever. I'll let them have it. Even Mrs. Brown's boys <laughs> yeah. didn't call it a film. The movie. <laughs> the movie. The film. <laughs> well, Sol, you said there, you, we, we, last time we had one of these mashup episodes, it was indeed to talk about Steptoe and Son. And yeah. I remember Alan telling us that just the way the funding worked, there was lots of there was lots of those sitcom movies in the seventies because it was mm. really cheap and easy to make, and then there were none made for years and years and years. Yeah, Alan, did you say that the In Betweeners was the one that kicked it all back off? Oh, massively, one hundred percent. The In Betweeners was the had the biggest opening weekend for a British comedy. No, 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 Alan, was, Alan, oh, even even better than Sex Lives of the Potato Man. I believe I believe the In Between His movie had the biggest opening weekend for a comedy ever in in British cinemas. Oh, as opposed to a British comedy, right? It beat. Wow. Well, I imagine it was both, to be perfectly honest. But it, it beat out The Hangover Part Two. I think previously held the record. High Company. It made a pretty staggering fifty-seven million dollars at the global box office off the back of a three and a half million pound. Sorry, that's fifty-seven million pounds. Sorry, did I say I was dollars? Gonna say it, so. <laughs> it made fifty-seven million pounds at the global box office. Uh, it, it only got a limited release overseas, obviously, but off the back of a three and a half million pound budget, it made fifty-seven million pounds box office. You know, and then however much it went on to make on DVD and and TV and so on. So it was a mm. a huge, huge, huge film by by British standards. You know, in a pretty solid effort, even by Hollywood standards, to be honest. I must admit as well, what I, th- what I like about that is that I know the people who are involved, the creatives, the writers and the actors, are going to get a much bigger payday out of this than they did from the TV series, even though the TV series was what made it a success. And was a lot better. Just because of the way these things work. And, the you know, by the time you're making a film, you can go, OK, well, I want this much money. And I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know, I have no idea what their deal was, but I imagine the principal actors got a little taste of the back end so to speak i believe um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. 
Is that is that a quote from the Inbetweeners you've just pulled out, or is that just you chatting? <laughs> no, but Jay? I've spent the last week watching the Inbetweeners, so my mind is absolutely sore. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I I know the writers. Um, is it what are their names? Damon Beasley and Ian Ian Morris. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I know they got some pretty nice deals to you know well, make pro- movies. They're the producers off as well the as the writers and creators. Yeah, so, one, yeah, one of them directed the, 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 money. the second one as well, didn't they? Um, yeah, they're they're a lot more than just script writers. They 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 yeah. they're inv- well, they're producers, yeah. But I believe off the back of the Inbetweeners movie, they signed some sort of four picture deal with Film Four that you know set to make them a very nice amount of money for a Film Four deal. And they're also they're working with Taika Waititi as well now. Are you aware that Taika Waititi, you know, really cut his directing chops directing the American remake of The Inbetweeners? We ju- we did mention that, but yeah, also Damon Beasley and Ian Morris wrote a couple of episodes of Flight of the Concords um, as well. So they're yeah. they're kind of all involved in that world together. Yeah, and and you know that that U.S. remake was of course you know poorly received, cancelled swiftly. Although, must be yes. said, it's very rare that a British sitcom remake even gets to series, you know? They normally don't get past the pilot <laughs> yeah. stage, so that's something. Um, but are you aware that they also signed a deal? It's, in theory, still happening, but I'm assuming this project's dead based on nothing being mentioned about it in years. Are you aware they also signed a deal to make a US remake of the Inbetweeners movie, specifically, independent oh, really? uh, of the show, I think Paramount signed on to do a US remake called Virgin's America, which would presumably... Richard Branson cameo? (laughs) Be about four American teenagers going on holiday abroad, I'm guessing. Well, you know what, Sol? That's interesting because I I didn't know that, but now you've planted that seed in my head, it's making me think that that might be one of the reasons. So I didn't enjoy the films as much as I enjoyed the series. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a revolutionary um, uh, thought. But but perhaps one of the reasons is that the films are probably more translatable to an American context, whereas the series is 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 so British. It's so uniquely <laughs> British, and and I think that's why it appeals to me a bit more. I yeah I mean I I don't know I think you'd struggle to get an American audience to really sit down and watch the Inbetweeners movie and appreciate it unless they're proper what do you call it uh, Anglophiles Anglophiles that's the word I was looking for mm. but I don't know can, can I ask how you guys feel about the Inbetweeners obviously I've not heard your your episode yet as as this goes out first well my, the the summary of my take on the Inbetweeners was that I watched it you know ten years ago it, I found it very relatable however. Having watched it again now, as a 45-year-old, or more importantly, as the father of a 15-year-old, I was watching it with a completely different perspective. And I, I, I really empathise with the parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think our general opinion was we're, we're really positive. We both really liked it. We're both really related to a lot of it. Yeah. That's interesting because you're both obviously a fair... A, not a fair bit, but you're both older than I am. Oh, I'm a fair mm-hmm. bit older than you. <laughs> but, you know, I... I I was the perfect age for the show when it came out. Mm. I was in sixth form when the first series came out on TV. Oh, right. So, wow, God, you are young. So it hit at the point where I was pretty much the the main demographic they were aiming for. I think. Mm. Well, can I ask you then, Sol? Because I also didn't watch it when it first came out. It was a few years later, so really, I was right. well in well into my twenties when I watched it. But I could cast back and relate to it. But of course, the people who wrote it were born. 10 years before me. So I feel like, I, I don't know necessarily that a 2008 
teenager, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, is going to relate to it in the same way as someone who is looking back, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. So did you watch it at the age of 18 and go, yeah, totally get that. That's that's me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll i say it wasn't just me. Like, you know, this, this was a huge show among sixth form. And, you know, everyone was watching it as it went out first right. run. It was a huge thing at sixth form. Yeah, I think part of that was it was, you know, very relatable, very well observed stuff. I mean, just to kind of put my thoughts out there, you know, I, I, uh, for our listeners, I, I give the series an eight out of ten. Put it that way. I, I, I really like it. It's very lowbrow and not nearly as um, witty <laughs> as uh, British comedy can be at its best, but it's still generally a pretty good bit of fun if you, yeah. you know, if you're willing to go with it. And, and like I say, there's a real. I think it does have a real sense of nostalgia for me because I was that age as it was going out and it was quite a big part of of sixth form. I think part of the appeal of this to me is a nostalgia element as in I was watching this and going, oh God, I remember what it was like to be 16. I don't Mm. think I would want to watch it going, oh, this is what I'm like now. Aren't I a dickhead? (laughs) I I, I don't know if that would have quite the same appeal. Well, I, I don't think many people did you know i think girls and boys liked it alike and i think most of the girls at sixth form were probably watching it and thinking like oh yeah that's what those annoying boys are like at school mm. i find that interesting sol because uh we we were conscious of this when we were talking about it as two two men it it, it was very male it's a very male program but in the in the films we have a lot more um well a lot more we see a lot more from the female characters and I don't think they're particularly well served. I don't. I, I, no, I, I mean, know, I don't I, think they're they're well written. I think, yeah, I think it's one of the major failings of the film. Actually, oh, one hundred percent. I think I, the female characters in the first film, in particular, are mm. a, a hindrance in multiple ways. But I'm, 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 tr- I'm sort of trying to get my positivity about the show out of the way, so I can start <laughs> going hard on the movie. All right. <laughs> okay. Can I ask just quickly then on on the relatability front? I think generally with a lot of sitcoms, there's a tendency to kind of be like, oh, which one of the gang are you? Yeah. Yeah. I can't quite figure out with the Inbetweeners. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Do, do you feel an affinity towards any well, one I of think, those characters? I think we're suppo- this is one of the problems I have with the Inbetweeners. We're supposed to, I think, we're supposed to relate to Simon. He's the, he's the normal yeah. one. All of the others are, are caricatures. And he's the one who's closest to a normal person, the everyman. I think as I'm going to complain about here... I think Simon is a fucking knob and I hate him. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm about, I don't know, back at sixth form, I was probably more like Will than anything, but would <laughs> like to think of myself being closer to Jay. Not that either are particularly... <laughs> yeah, none of them are particularly... People to aspire to. I think I've become more like Jay as I've grown older, which is, yeah. again, not a, I can... <laughs> not a positive. I can... I can definitely see you as a J in the sense that you're just a stirrer. You're really only interested in making but I, a, getting a laugh rather yeah. than but anything I, else. But I don't just compulsively lie constantly, which no, was a no. that was a trait that a friend of mine at sixth form did have. Both Gareth and I were grammar school boys who went to a boys' mm. school and then uh, went to okay. a sort of mixed uh, sixth. Will form. then? Well, yeah, yeah you think <laughs> so, but, completely. But but no, not really. Didn't because because I didn't. I didn't stick out at sixth form in that sense. I think... Can we talk about the characters broadly a bit before we get into the film? Because a big part of the film, again, why I'm going to go hard on it, is I don't think it quite catches the... I I I think they're out of character. I I don't think it serves the characters at all. Yeah. 
Well, I, I will say that, you know, Jay was obviously this breakout character. Um, I don't know if that was your experience, but certainly at sixth form, you know, he was the one people were quoting. And Well, that's just because he's got the best little thing. He has got the best yeah. lines. Yeah. But, but it was very much that kind of, it takes on a life of its lo- a life of its own thing to the point that it starts being picked up by people who don't really understand the joke and, and his stuff mm. starts being said unironically. And basically, I guess the point that I'm trying to build to here is that by the time the movie came out, I was feeling a bit of pushback, really, against the series and Jay because Mm. of the fan base having made it um, (laughs) just annoying. Uh, I understand that. I don't... I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really have other people that were watching at the same time as me. So, but I do have. I know exactly what you're talking about because I get that sort of thing all the time with yeah. different. You things. know, you must have you must have seen, for example, the orange ads that played in the cinemas for about six months with Jay from the In Betweeners meeting the Expendables to. Uh, well, well, I saw I saw the ads. I saw the ads with him in it, and then they cut to a shot with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. I never saw them together or interacting in any way. Uh, yeah. I don't think they ever actually met, but you know. But you know, I I just think I think the show was something of a victim of its own success, and I think the the movie is arguably part of that, an extension of that. I I'm gonna sound like I dislike it more than I do. I don't dislike mm. it, but it but broad strokes, I think it is your classic. They haven't captured what made this work on screen. They've kind of sold out a bit. This is dumbed down, if you can believe it, from the show. Mm. Mm. I think I think it lose uh, they've somehow lost some of their charm and that's that's a word I use advisedly but but it it just feels like a bit a bit of a more blunt instrument that they're hitting us with in the movie yeah. it's, it's lost something it's lost some subtlety there's a lack of again probably the wrong word but innocence yes they're yeah. just they're, seeing them and in, and seeing them in a school uniform makes everything so much easier to to, to go. It's like a sixteen year old and an eighteen year old is so different, and mm. it, it makes a difference to how they behave, how we accept their behavior. There's also a big difference in terms of how you know it's a movie, so it's willing to go further with things. And so the perfect example of that is that one of the opening scenes introducing us to Jay in this film is him preparing to have a fancy wank with a, uh, is it like mm. a baseball glove and some so, like some cold cuts of turkey? Snorkel, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's and it's just a, it's a bit more explicit than I ever remember the show being, in mm-hmm. a way that is obviously going for gross out laughs, but is actually just a bit gross. But I think Alan's got a point there. I think Jay in Jay in the in between the series is, is is he's certainly charmless, but he's he's tragic. He's a tragic figure. Whereas in the films, where he's a bit older, he, you know, he's he's almost predatory. <laughs> he's a knob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a dickhead right. in the he's film. He's not charming at film. all. Just that that opening with Jay, like we've seen him before masturbating or whatever, or getting ready to have a wank, and. You know things like oh, if you if you sit on your hand and it goes dead and then it feels like someone else is doing it, it's like we, we all know that we've heard that it's an urban legend or something you've tried, but having a wank with some ham and wearing a snorkel doesn't like that's just some random nonsense. That's not universal, together. is it's not, it? <laughs> it's not a relatable humor. It's just a weird thing that he's doing. Well, that that really felt like they've watched American Pie and they were like, oh yeah, yeah. we've got to try and do something like that, but you know, mm-hmm. worse. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, at the same time, I did find it really fu- like it's obvious. You- you're just waiting for the mum to walk in, but I did find it really funny that his reaction to that was 
uh, I'm just trying to book a holiday, is what he shouts at her. <laughs> to Turkey. So, you know, it's not all bad. Like, it's still, it's still got more or less that level of humour that I think the show operated at. It's, it's mm. more the, the writing and the plotting that I think lets this movie down. I think there's an air of tragedy about it, first of all, because it is a yeah. British movie on a, you know, pretty low budget, trying to aspire to more. So that means that we finally see Will's dad, who's been referred to throughout the series, and mm. it's the huge celebrity get. And do you know, Alan, they managed to get the dad of the girl who plays uh, Carly. Yeah. How, did they, how, they, how did they get his number? They managed to get him for... About half a day's filming, it would seem like. And don't get me wrong, I love Anthony Head. He's one of my favourites. I love it when he pops up and stuff. But Anthony Head is someone you could get to be a significant character in the Inbetweeners uh-huh. movie. And to get him in for a pointless scene up front that is just there to say, look, it's Anthony Head, and adds <laughs> nothing else... <laughs> Like, it's bizarre. And it just makes the whole thing feel tragic. And they probably could have got someone, you know, a bit. If extras could get fucking Samuel L. Jackson and Kate Winslet and David Bowie. Hugh Grant. They should have got Hugh Grant. Yeah. Anthony Head is is a pound shop Hugh Grant. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Hugh Hugh Grant is probably attainable for one scene playing Will's dad at the start of the Inbetweeners movie. Um, anyway, so that's a really weak opening scene, and that is the very first scene. Then we have this huge shot from Sky, and it comes down from the clouds, and it, you know, flies through the streets and, and lands on the, this, you know, house. Um, and that's like half the movie's budget right there, which is just painfully, painfully obvious, you know, the first time you, you watch it. And it, again, it just, it doesn't work because there's nothing else like that in the film. It's its like blowing their load up front and then yeah. it's basically an episode of the show, but in abroad. And it works in the sense of what it's doing and it sets the scene, you know, and all that. But yeah, it just doesn't seem necessary. And I think one of the real charms of the TV show is its low grade nature. It feels like it's just shot on some digicams and and sort of thrown together, not much it's lighting. Channel four for you, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But that, I think that really, I think that really helps, and it really adds to it to the style of it. Now, I appreciate for a film you might want to go a little bit more glossy, but I don't think you need to overdo it. And I think generally they don't. It's just that mm. that opening, like you say, they do kind of yeah throw throw their wad up uh, on that. Mm. Um, so yeah, you could have spent that money getting Hugh Grant, but it it looks nice. It still works. So if we actually deal with the plot of the film, it's the these lads have just they've graduated from sixth form now. They're at university and they decide to get together for a lads' holiday uh, in Malia in Greece. Now here's a problem in terms of relatability. I never went on a lad's holiday <laughs> because, you know, it's, it seems like hell. But uh, did you ever do that, Sol? No, it's it's not. Um... Well, I went on a lad's holiday when I was uh, probably 18, maybe 17. Uh, my mate Damo had an uncle who worked at a resort in Spain. And so we, oh. we went out for a couple of weeks to stay with him. But <laughs> unfortunately, what, what I didn't know um, <laughs> until we got there was that he was, he was working in a resort called Sitges on the Costa Brava, which is the gay capital of Europe. So <laughs> it, I had a perfectly nice couple of weeks, but I, well, I, I wasn't knee deep in clunge, let's put it that way. <laughs> Still, any port in a storm, right? That's all part of growing up, isn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, you know, we spoke about it last time round, but 
the cliche of you make a, a British sitcom movie is ah they all go on holiday, like that that's all they do here, and they almost try and make a little comment on it by having Jay's dad say you know there, there's a point where he's driving them to the airport and he he says you know oh in my day it was all you know go on a holiday to to Spain Magaluf. or whatever Magaluf yeah and then Shagaluf we called it yeah. I, I, so one of the films that the writers, producers of, of this followed up, um, I think probably the first, maybe the second in that Film 4 deal that I mentioned, was that film, The Festival. And I just, it really struck me, going back to this, like, wouldn't this have been better served and more, more like, in the spirit, I think, of the series, more true to what The Inbetweeners is, and it's kind of low, like, like you were saying, Alan, the kind of low-grade, cheap aesthetic, if they just went to a festival rather than a proper yeah. holiday. Yeah, that well, that's it. When Actually, now you say that, when I was a teenager, uh, growing up near Leeds, the thing to do was go to Leeds Festival. Oh, yeah. That's the thing to do in a lot of places, Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that locally for me, because we were so close. So that's what everyone did. And it was did just you a do complete... That? Yeah. No, I didn't, obviously, because I didn't want to go. But Well, uh, well I mean, <laughs> I, I went to the local one around my way, which, you know, more recently opened, uh, Creamfields. And I mean, fuck me, what a, what a horrible experience. What an awful time. <laughs> but... You know, there's a, there's a lot of material to be mined there, and it's in the same vein as, yeah. as what this is. I mean, like I say, you can watch that film, The Festival, I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, it includes a group of drunk people dressed as Smurfs, which are also in this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for example. And it's it's not contrived to believe that these characters would go on holiday together, but I don't know, there's just something a bit... Lazy. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Actually, I think them going on a lads' holiday is perfectly fine. It works. But I do think, uh, like you're saying, a festival would perhaps have had a better aesthetic and a better griminess to it. Plus, if you get the budget to make a film, you go, shall we shoot this in Greece or shall we shoot this in Reading? <laughs> what do you, What do you think? <laughs> well. Well, honestly, if I if I get the budget and it's three and a half million pounds, I probably think, can we make something a bit more cinematic in Reading, or can we make like a really low budget film in in Greece? You know, that's kind of your option. Like you 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 have the crowds to play with. You can pull in all the celebrity fans that you know are performing for some celebrity cameos, and it won't be too contrived. Like I I think you could make your money go a lot further in Reading, honestly. But then I guess Reading's expensive and you probably get tax breaks in, in Greece, don't you? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably something like that, yeah. What do we think, just in principle, I, you know, on, on, our, on the other um, podcast, we talked a lot about the supporting characters that I think are an important part of the set of The Inbetweeners. But, but I, it feels like they're all a little bit crowbarred in here. It's like, oh, you want to see all your favourites? Here they are. As you yeah. get with British, or just sitcom movies in general, there's usually about 15 minutes at the start where every you know, popular supporting character gets one scene. Would they would the film be better without them or is it nice to see that? Is it nice to see Mr. Gilbert and Will's sexy mom? With regards to their parents, I think they're a big enough part of the show and it's organic enough to see, you know, Neil's dad, who I think was definitely a big part of the show, and Jay's dad, you know, it obviously I watched one episode of the show to kind of refresh my memory mm-hmm. before rewatching these films, but I haven't really watched the in between uh, us in about, you know, seven, eight years, whenever the second movie came out was the last time I watched anything to do with it. So it was nice to be reminded that, Oh yeah, Jay's dad is a prick. And that's a big part that's of why, why Jay is, is like the that. way that he is and stuff yeah. like that. So I don't mind it with the parents. 
Carly's obviously a big part of the plot and it works relatively organically. And then there's just Mr. Gilbert, who, you know, was the big fan favourite supporting role. And they do just kind of crowbar him in. And, you know, seeing him at the start, I think, is fairly organic. I think that Mm, works, but it's also not enough. And they know it's not enough, so then they crowbar him in halfway through the film. And that doesn't work, and it just reminds you that you're missing Mr. Gilbert. And would it have been so difficult to write him a proper role in the movie? If they write, oh, he's gone to the same holiday resort they're at, can't you make that a bigger part of the film? Like yeah. you can get a lot of material out of that, surely. Yeah, but they know they know that it doesn't work because they filmed all that stuff and then cut it out. So oh, did they? I was going to say because all ah, you need is two more scenes making there it are a two running more scenes gag in the in the deleted right. scenes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there exactly. we go. Well. Right. Uh, fair enough. Although you have just reminded me, you've just reminded me of a bit in the show where Jay and Neil see Mr. Gilbert in the shop, like in a <laughs> shopping centre, and they're just like bewildered that he exists outside <laughs> the school, and so they just go. Gilbert and then run away. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that, that's a very um, that's a very well observed and relatable moment. Should we get into those those girls? Because basically they meet four counterpart women yeah. in a shit yeah. bar, and it's very clearly one girl for each boy. But they never yeah. quite make a joke out of it in the way that they might have done. You know, it's yeah. not like it's not like Will ends up with the bespectacled one who's a bit of a nerd. The only one who's actually a bit like their counterpart is there's a lanky, weird one for Neil. Yeah. But it's not like that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they walk past... Uh, yeah, the other yeah. <laughs> Neil, by the way, like, in my recollection, he is, like, this huge, huge, lanky beanpole of a guy. And I realised the other day, having a chat with um, some of our listeners on our Discord... It's just that all the in-betweeners are really short. The guy who plays Neil is six foot tall, which is the same height that I am, which isn't that tall. But, I mean, an- another little um, poncy name drop story here. I uh, I mean, we didn't even do the first one properly with Mr. Gilbert yet, Alan. We'll get to that later, I guess. There's no, there's no, there's no story. We just worked on a thing and Mr. Gilbert was there. <laughs> <laughs> And he and he, he he took photos with uh, a load of people at the end of the day, but you and I decided not to be unprofessional by asking him for one. <laughs> but he was very like he he actually is very tall. He actually is like a monster. Yeah, of Greg a, Davis is six foot eight. So it was, yeah. yeah, Sol Sol and I worked with Greg Davis on a short film, basically in which we were just we were sort of helping it because it was a charity thing, so it wasn't very official yeah, but yeah. we were helping out, and then we, we did, were paid in McDonald's, I believe. Yeah, and we we did a scene. Uh, we were extras in a scene where he had to. We were running out of a room, and he shoved us out of the way. And then I worked on lighting. I don't know what you. I, I, yeah, I, I did some work as a. Uh, I've was... got a credit as a best boy or something on that. Yeah, best so boy. We, we all did a bit of everything. Yeah, <laughs> I was second best. <laughs> um, the the thing like I'm just I can't get over how small Simon Bird is. That's pretty much what I'm leading to. I also worked on a thing with Tom Rosenthal in it, and he for people who don't know. Simon Bird's probably second best known after the Inbetweeners for Friday Night Dinner, another British sitcom mm-hmm. in which his brother is played by a guy called Tom Rosenthal. And in that show, Tom Rosenthal towers above him. Like, you'd think, oh god, Tom Rosenthal, what a tall guy. 
Um, when I met Tom Rosenhall, I was I was taken back by how short he was, like significantly shorter than I am. But then when you look at pictures of him next to Simon Bird, he is like twice his height. And it just makes me think like <laughs> Simon Bird must be on the cusp of it being a medical thing. <laughs> well, that's how you <laughs> get tiny. cast as a teenager, even though you're 24. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess that's that's probably it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I saw, Sol, I've worked with Blake Harrison. Um, yes, yes. I did, I did some extra work did he, when we Did he seem very on... tall and lanky? No, not especially. Yeah, in well, so, so... yeah, a sitcom called Big Bad World that he was leading, and I was I was in that. I also did something with Anthony Head, if you want to mention oh, really? it. I was in Vanity Go Fair on. with Anthony Head. Yeah, so. The magazine? Did a photo <laughs> yeah, shoot? It was a, it was a nude... It was very. It was. It was. Uh, it was classy respectable line. nudes. It was classy. Yeah, it wasn't like. Oh, I, I love Anthony Head. How? What do you mean you love Anthony Head? What do you mean you love Anthony Head? What have you seen Anthony Head in? Seven seasons Buffy. of Buffy. A few episodes of Angel. Repo. <laughs> the the pilot of Jonathan Opera. Creek. The first episode of Jonathan Creek before they recast him because they realised he was too expensive. Because he went to do Buffy. That's why. <laughs> it was. He went off to do Buffy. You're right. I, I'm a big fan of his singing voice. He he, he did uh, Rocky Horror on the stage, although I never saw it and don't really care about Rocky Horror. But <laughs> but you're a big fan of that anyway. I think you've got I think you've got Buffy goggles on here. <laughs> I love Anthony Head. Uh, you know he's not he's not done. I've nothing against the guy. I have nothing against the man. I've just never really seen him in anything. Like to say, oh, Anthony Head, they've got what a get that is. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm not saying he's a get. Bloke. I'm saying he's a get in the same way that Mr. Gilbert's a get. Like that's a good actor <laughs> that they've got, and they should be able to do something with it. It's not to say like, wow, how did they get him? I know exactly how they did. They, you know, phoned up his agent and when look, your daughter's in it, and they went, oh, yeah. <laughs> go on then. Anyway, so the the main characters we have, we haven't really gone into them, but we have Will, the bespectacled nerdy Harry Potter guy, briefcase wanker. Will is very much our protagonist of the show. He is like well, our this he's is a where narrator. I have a problem, Sol, because Will's our narrator and Will's the Will's the the kind of central character, if you like. He's the but eyes of the audience. Simon is the everyman. Simon is the relatable yeah. one, I think. And, and that, yeah, that, 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 yeah. there's a mismatch there. Yeah, completely. And and then we have Jay, who is sex obsessed, talks a load of shit, compulsive liar clearly a virgin is he still a virgin by the end of the series or does he actually he gets a girlfriend doesn't yeah, he no he has a girlfriend but he's still a virgin yeah okay and uh neil who virgin is your bog- rage <laughs> and then you have neil who is your bog standard they're the stupid one uh from every sitcom ever made he is the i think quirky. i think jay is jay is raging teenage id He's got absolutely, he's just, he's just all those hormones laid bare with no controlling influence. He just lets it all out. And I think with, with Neil, he's not, idiot isn't quite right. He's, he's innocent in a way. He's naive, I think. And when they're always talking about sex and like, oh, they want to have sex, they want to have sex. He's obviously going to be the first one to lose it because it's not a big deal to him. He's not building it up. It's just like one day it'll happen. It's like, oh yeah, I had sex by the way. But this is, this is one of my problems with the film in that if Neil's a good example of where the characters just, they just, they just turn up the caricature just that little bit too much. So Mm. Neil is an idiot. Neil's a complete fool in the films. Whereas, yeah, he's just more, naive and innocent in the series but you know once again like simon bird's height i think neil is you know you could probably diagnose his intelligence as a disorder like is that not fair <laughs> maybe in the films but as i say in the series he's just a bit dope am i just misremembering I, the, the one episode i rewatched just to refresh myself 
on it. You know, he he punches a fish to death, which isn't <laughs> good choice. You know, choice of that episode. was a field Not... trip. That's the episode that we cover in our uh, in our. Oh really? Our podcast, that, yeah. yeah. But that's a that is a good example because he's he's gone fishing and you know. You know, you kill the fish because it's cruel to just let it flop around until it drowns. You smash its head in. But you could just put it back in the water and he says it won't survive, which I don't think's true. Yeah, but if he's gone fishing, you catch the fish, you smash it against a rock or something just to put it out of his misery and then you take it home and eat it. But like in his slightly simple brain, he's gone, well, what should I do to kill this fish? Oh, punch it. And I think that works. It's like, it's... He's, I think it works. Still, I just think he, he's not an intelligent character. He's he's the dumb one. That's that's his that's his role in the show. There's you know most sitcoms have the dumb one, mm-hmm. and they you know they have varying. Deg- I'm not saying he's at the level of you know Beavis and Butthead or Dumb and Dumber, but you know he's maybe more of a Joey Triviani. Like there's a you know <laughs> there's a degree of intelligence <laughs> there, but he's still the dumb one. And women like him because it's uncomplicated. <laughs> yeah, so there are four main characters anyway, and then the movie pretty swiftly well Simon has a running thing throughout the show, a kind of will they won't they, uh, with Carly, and basically they go on holiday so that he can pursue her to the ends of the earth at the same resort that she's gone to. Well no, he doesn't know, does he? He Oh you're right, you're right, you're right. Neil books it because it's the one she yeah. Because she breaks up with him at the very start of the film. Yeah. And so he's played like throughout the film it's him being much like he was in the show, this kind of, you know, lovelorn, desperate yeah. loser. Well that's that's it again. It's everything's just turned up slightly, like Gareth said there. So in the show it's this girl he's known for his whole life and he's just, he's always had a massive crush on her. So she's the girl next door, like the one who's unattainable. And then at the start of the film, we see that they've actually got together finally. But then she's like, look, we're going to way to universities. Let's not try and do a long distance thing. Let's split up. Which, by the way, if anyone who's watching who is in that situation, definitely the correct decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> go to uni and be free and single. Uh, but then... In the film, he's chasing her and he's like, he's trying to win her back. So it's slightly different, but basically the same principle. But it's all just a bit over the top. And some of the things he does, as he does do some very stupid things rather than... Yeah, yeah. And, and he is, you know, he's as stupid as Neil is in the show in this movie. And it's, that's the thing, like this, this movie, everyone seems out of character because it all seems to be plot driven rather than character driven. It seems to be, oh, we had an idea for a funny scene. Yeah. How can we bend our characters over backwards to fit them into this right, hole yeah, that they yeah. don't make sense in? So a good example of that is... Uh, Simon at one point decides he needs some money, so he inexplicably goes to sell all his clothes on a street corner. Yeah. Um, some knobhead comes past and very clearly winding him up makes a fake phone call, like where his friend is gonna, you know, give him whatever it was, a hundred euros or whatever for the lot. Yeah. But he has to have all his clothes, including the ones that he's wearing. And Simon not only doesn't realise it's a joke and takes his clothes off, but Will, who's with him as well, also doesn't clock that it's a joke. He clocks that it's maybe a bad idea, but not, this is a scam, he's lying, mate. That's That's not realistic. And then we just have a scene where Simon's naked and that's the joke and mm. like but it's but it doesn't play because it's so weak how they get to that point. Yeah. It it's certainly so is. Contrived. In fact, I think that's probably the weakest point of the film uh, in terms of the characters that we deal that we know and love. 
I mean, I, th- I think the weakest aspect for me are the the love interests, these four girls they yes. meet. So they go to a shit uh, bar, which isn't that bad, it's just empty. Uh, but that's probably partly because they go in at like, you know, three in the afternoon or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then four, you know, counterpart women come in and basically spend the whole movie throwing themselves at these four absolute pricks who give them mm. nothing. Yep. Yeah. Just so at the end of the film they can have a happy romantic ending where they all realize the error of their ways. Like Simon no, the, the uh, Will's counterpart, this incredibly attractive mm. blonde woman who's, you know, gone on to have a, a Hollywood career. She was the in one of the Transformers movies in a substantial role. Oh, Do you remember really? that, Alan? Oh really? Yeah, she was Optimus Prime, wasn't she? She was uh she was Chris Pratt's mum in the flashbacks in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. They brought her back for the second one. Do you know what the the biggest problem with her is that she looks about twenty eight. Yeah. Um, I don't know how old the actor actually is, but obviously you're hiring actors who can look eighteen, and she doesn't. Mm. And then couple that with the fact that she's a very mature character and she's quite yeah. sensible throughout most of it. It makes her seem so much older. It doesn't fit. And yeah, Will Will's more of a. Will's a quote-unquote mature character, but he, you know, he does it in a way that is like, oh, this, this is someone who is very inexperienced and immature. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, but he's, a, he, yeah, he's, he's precocious. He in the show. He's, he's a sixteen-year-old yeah. who wants to be thirty-five. And exactly, wants to be seen exactly. As that. But he still has all the, the the baggage that comes with being a exactly. Whereas she is just like you say, just like a a mature character, and she's the least bad one of the lot. Her and uh, Will have some scenes interacting a bit of flirting you see how she might you know find him charming they actually laugh a bit about things yeah the the question is not why is why is she attracted to him but why is she hanging out with these other people that she doesn't appear to have anything in common that are 10 years younger than her yeah the other problem with that is uh, we set her up as what she is and we see okay her and will could get together fine but then we get oh she's going out with this greek waiter and she's come back to see him again hmm. and she's fallen for this kind of creepy greek waiter that we then do end up revealing is a creepy greek waiter and uh, is is just shagging whoever he can find that character would not fall for that and and we'd never get an explanation of why she would uh and and so that's the inconsistency hmm. of the character i suppose i don't know i i don't have too much of a problem there but i mean what <sighs> So the other ones we have are Simon's counterpart, who is this the the brunette with a fringe, and I can't stand it because he spends the whole film going on about his ex and how he you know misses her and he's going to win her back mm. and how amazing she is, which you know on one hand is played for laughs and to be fair that's not the worst comedic premise in the world they don't really do anything funny with it but. And they get some jokes out of her clearly coming on to him and him being oblivious to it and running off to see Carly and stuff. Mm. But what does she How many see times? in him? How many times is she going to go back? Because she's, again, she's a pretty attractive woman. She could do perfectly well on, on holiday with, you know, yeah. some nice men if she wanted to, if that's what she's interested in. Which she obviously is because she's desperately sniffing around Simon, who's not remotely interested and a prick. Yes. And has an awful haircut. And I hate Simon. I hate Simon. Simon is just, like, you're meant to think he's the everyman. But even in the show, he was always... Like, I knew people like that at sixth form. And they were nice. But they were just so like, oh, fuck 
cough. Like, have some personality. Get <laughs> that's a, a personality. He's vacant, isn't he? That's that's the vacant, thing. That, great and, word. Yes, that's exactly what he is. There's just nothing there. And 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 in this movie, he is just a. He's an idiot, like a real idiot, and rude and a dick. Mm. And then at the end of the film, he turns around and goes, "Oh, you know what? I've just had an epiphany that actually that other girl fancies me, and is quite attractive." So I'm going to do a big grand romantic gesture so the film has like a, a big moment to end on. And sure, they undercut that with a joke as well. But it's still like, that's kind of, the the plot is hinging on these romantic relationships. And it's weak. It just doesn't mm. work. Oh, that, that one, that one's the worst, yeah. Because, you, you, yeah, you'd never get any sense of why she would keep pursuing him. He's not sympathetic at all. He's sympathetic in the show. We we relate to him. We we want him to be. We want him to win. We want him to get the girl. And and you know he's frustrated constantly. Whereas you're absolutely right. In in the film, he doesn't deserve the girl. He's absolutely exactly. Around. That's that's it. Like I know it's awful to talk in terms of like deserving women and so on. But <laughs> yeah. but in but in insofar as from a film writing point of view. Mm your protagonists either deserve a happy ending or don't, like, you know, d- based on their morality displayed throughout the film. He deserves an unhappy ending. He doesn't so, so deserve you've hit on to... you've hit on my biggest problem here with the film. You're saying that in the film they don't deserve a happy ending, whereas in the series they're more relatable and you want them to do well. But in the series, yeah. and this is very important, they never win. They always yeah. end up losers at the end of the episode, and in this, in this, they all end up, they all end up happy at the end, and that I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not convinced by that. Mm-hmm. That's a complete betrayal of the characters. I, I will say again, you know, this was meant as the grand finale, and I think, you know, they they were writing this when they were working on series two, I believe, of the show. So they they obviously ended the series with, you know, it wasn't like they round, rounded up the show and then went, oh, we'll mm. make a movie. They probably thought right well we'll save a happy ending for the very end and what have you but you're right it it doesn't quite ring true it feels a bit hollow and like they've gone hollywood um but alan i think it's interesting you said that that was the worst relationship of the bunch and i'm not sure it is i think the worst one might be jay and um is it is it jane Jane, Jane, yeah well a very similar a very similar thing but i think jay in all this We'll get into what, but I think Jay is a lot more sympathetic in all this and you understand yeah. what he's doing, whereas mm. Simon's just being a dick. Yeah, completely. I, I agree with that. But I, I guess my issue here is more going back to things not being conveyed very well or just not mm. put put together in a, on a technical let's make this script into reality kind of way. This character she's, that Jay is matched up enough. with is written as fat woman and the whole point is fat and and she's not just meant to be fat but it's you know it's fat to the point that you cannot walk down the street without people turning heads and making comments mm, and they're shouting they, at her in the street about her making fat, jokes yeah. about beached whales to her face even after they meet her she's that obese and who they've gone and cast is actually a barely overweight plus-sized model who's extremely attractive again. She's beautiful. Obviously, it's shit because it's just it doesn't play and it's stupid and it means the whole film just feels fake and dumb and you keep forgetting that she's meant to be fat. But a huge part of the story is Jay being a dickhead who, you know, is embarrassed to be seen with her and overcoming that and, you know learning to be okay with who they are and not listen to dickheads. But in the show, he had no shame about trying to get a blowjob off a 70-year-old grandma. Like he, <laughs> That's it, exactly. If they, if, 
if we saw these characters and they'd looked across the room and go, oh, she's a bit of all right. Oh, what do you mean? She's a bit fat, isn't she? No, mate, fat's good. More cushion for the pushing. I once shagged exactly. the world's fattest woman once. It was great. It's completely out of character that he would have any issue with it at all. He'd be, you know, he might still talk a big game behind her back about it in a nasty way, but, you know, he'd be chasing her very full on and I, he, he doesn't have any shame that's the point jay is set up and established through three series of this show at this point as shameless but i think you could you could do that a little bit more subtly he gets off with this girl everything's going fine and then someone probably not one of his friends but maybe the rep who's the arsehole or whatever says something and starts getting into his head like going oh so you got the fat bird yeah and just some, something that he's trying to impress someone else Exactly. And he's like, so he has to kind of start questioning his own motives. And exactly. It, it you just, could be more subtle you know, about that. What, Dad? Thought you was coming to the party? Yeah, I was. I popped my head in the door, saw you chatting up some fat birds, so I didn't want to cramp your style. I wasn't chatting her up. I was keeping her busy while Simon was talking to her mate. Don't be embarrassed, son. If I was as bad with the ladies as you, I'd have moved on to the fatties months ago. <laughs> if it wasn't literally there are people walking past on the street seeing him about to kiss her who stop and start making comments because oh he's gonna kiss a fat girl and it's like that's not people don't do that and they're not you know they're not i think they're pretty overweight the men making those comments themselves not that that necessarily would stop that's the patriarchy so (laughs) (laughs) but even in this film even in this film neil is like shagging fat old women who are actually quite ugly and cast to be unattractive. And, you know, they talk about how they sound like Johnny Vegas and they actually do talk like that. And it's like, if Neil's doing that with no shame and no one's really giving him a hard time about it, why well, no, would Jay he's getting suddenly... sex, which means he's doing better than the rest of them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it, isn't it? That's it. That's the internal logic of these characters, and and the, well, the, the internal logic just isn't there. You know, we can obviously all the things we're talking about. I feel like we need disclaimers to say obviously these are horrible opinions that they all have, and the way that they treat women is awful, of course. But within the internal logic of these characters. That yeah, there's they're, a they're horny there teenagers. There is a system. There is a no code, scribbles. and they are breaking that code here, and it, that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, and I think with with the with the Neil situation, like I said, Neil is a as a naive, and so he's just thinking, oh look, some girls grinding up against me. Oh, oh I've got a finger in the club. The fact that she's fifty seven year old dinner lady doesn't matter. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't worry about what people think of him. Yeah, I think Jay it, whatever, does. You know, I think Jay does worry what people think of him, but he also wants to have sex. Exactly, <laughs> so. and he's. And and the sex has always very much trumped that in the show. And you know, a lot, a lot of teenage boys are like that. You know, they'll they will or would in theory take anything they could get, but they're not even being offered. And and of course, that is that's all undercut by the fact that she, you know, she's put up with this and this entire to and fro in. Why 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 would she stick around for all of that decision making process? <laughs> she, I think the idea is, oh, she's used to it. She's heard it all. But in the you know, series, she's heard you know, it all, the... so it can't hurt her. But it, it doesn't play like a real person, and none of these. Yeah, because you know how well-adjusted, fat, eighteen-year-old girls are about their appearance. In the criticism in the series that there aren't enough female characters, and they're not well-serviced; they're just there as foils for the boys. And you know, okay, yeah. it's about four boys, so that's the way it is. Whereas in the films, we have these female characters, and they're just you know, they're they're poorly written and unbelievable they're characters. They're props. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while while we're talking about female characterizations, can we talk about Carly? Because yeah. this is a character that we set up throughout the show, so we've got a lot more backstory here. 
And that is completely abandoned for for the film, in which they turn her into a total bitch. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, remind me, because it's been a while since I watched the show, but... It was a bit more of a two-way will they won't they thing, wasn't it? Her and and um, not exactly, Simon. not exactly. It's always him who fancies her, but it's always him fancying knows. her. But she does once or twice give a little hint of oh, okay, maybe. Is well, I right? think, but that's that's why I really like the character in the show because I think it's really well drawn in in that. You know, she's obviously aware that he's interested in her, but she's not that really fussed about him. She's got other people going on. But then perhaps when one day she hasn't got someone else going on, he's there for her. And that doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't mean she's using him. It means she's a teenage girl who will get attention when she needs mm. it. And again, she doesn't string him along, but she makes sure he's on the string. So when she sees him talking to another girl she will kind of just go up and just say hello and and speak to him and just remind him that she's there. And I like that because it's not necessarily a malicious act. It's just a normal human thing, especially when you're a teenager, just to make sure that you're not being forgotten about. But in this film, she uses him and she's quite unpleasant to him. Well, yeah, at the start, she breaks up with him in a way that's pretty reasonable. It's it, the only yeah, real exactly, bit yeah. is at the end, she uses him to try and make someone else jealous. Yeah, it's which just is the same. Pretty... It's, it's it's the same as all the other characters. It's it's turned up too high. It's just slightly overwritten. Yeah. But then, then the, the, the other side of that is that the bad guy they have here, the club rep, who's a bit of a dick, is not a bit of a dick. He's an absolute psychopathic, he's a, insane he's a psychopath. person. Yeah, he's a coked up... And so nutter. having this character of Carly falling for that is plausible, but we need, we need the moment where she finds yeah. out the truth about him and goes, oh, hang on, he's a dick. And that yeah. doesn't mean she then goes back to Simon. Or maybe that is, maybe that's the better end. She finds out this guy's a dick, and then she goes back to Simon, and that's the moment where Simon goes, hang on. You're coming back to me now. I'm your backup. Exactly. No, screw exactly. you. I've got a backup of my own. And exactly. then he goes to her and she goes, fuck off. How many times have yeah. you rejected me? And that's and the end because they never he, win. He goes home alone and the others stay there for an extra week. <laughs> 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 yeah. And, and you know, it's, it, it, everything is just a bit too too much in this, you know, to the point that it's not believable. It goes beyond the characterization just to, like, the humorous set pieces, the jokes, you know? So that you know, cringe comedy is a big staple of certainly <laughs> British comedy, and there are very few instances in cringy comedies where I really struggle to watch it and I wince. <laughs> um, the only two things I've ever seen that I really struggle to get through are uh, the episode of Peep Show where Mark leaves a phone message for Sophie, who he you know his uh, Carly, and then there's the moment in the in betweeners where Jay tries to impress a girl by reenacting the crazy frog uh, oh, bike thing <laughs> in excruciating detail for about two minutes. He's there going... And, you know, people are looking at him like, what the fuck? And it's, you know, it, that is... It's hard to watch. But, in you know, it's intentionally that way. And that's, that's yeah, as big yeah. as the show used to go. Whereas in the movie, there's a scene where they all decide to dance over to the girls so it doesn't look too, mm. you know, inconspicuous, so it looks, like, natural, like they're not just coming over. <laughs> yeah, just just dance over and chat to them. It's like Mr. Bean. It's too big. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. ludicrous. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe Neil would do that. And the other characters would be like, what are you doing? But they all do it and join in and it goes on. And, and the girls don't even... 
react to it in a sense of like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, it just yeah. It I think that's I think that's crucial because I think that seems funny and it and I think it works with them because Neil does dance like that. We've seen him dance like that before, and actually Blake Harrison can kind of do it all right. The, the fact that the other two would then follow up and try and keep up with him makes sense with their characters because they're just floundering. They don't know what to do. But it's the big dances they go with. You know, Will doesn't do a bit of dad dancing to try and keep up and feel awkward about it. He goes for a big, like, lunge move that's like the <laughs> fucking Ministry of Silly Walks. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit over the top. If you did that scene, and the point of the scene and the joke is they try and chat up some girls and they do that and then the girls laugh in their faces and walk away and they're just embarrassed and they go and get a drink that's a good scene the fact that it establishes them with these girls that are then going to get on with for the next hour and a half doesn't work but it's that, that well that's the that's the original sin of this relationship isn't it we've said you know the, the the way the girls react to them is totally unrealistic and that's that's it that's the first time where we like well these well obviously these women are, are weird <laughs> they're not normal <laughs> Well, I do like that that scene, the dance scene, ends with Will just going, look, we clearly have no idea what we're doing. Can we come and talk to you, please? <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I kind of like that. It, that makes sense. That's his character. Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on the, you know, in our last episode together, I spoke about how I have a real soft spot for British sitcom movies, or sitcom movies, full stop. Mm. And I realised a big part of that is that I think comedy is a genre. I love comedy, but I think TV is the best medium for comedy. I don't think it works as well in film. And I think a big part of that is every time you try and make something funny, you're kind of assembling a new team. And I just think TV shows tend to, when they work well, it's because they've assembled a group of people and a something they're comfortable playing with, a situation they can play with. And then they're able to go and play with it. And, and you know, to varied results, sometimes yeah. it's going to work really well sometimes it might not whereas with a film it's kind of one and done and then you have to start from scratch again i think i'm often drawn to sitcom movies because it's basically like well we've been doing this for years so it should start at that level of being so why don't you know, they pretty start? funny your logic's impeccable why are they all rubbish well, they're not. I think sometimes <laughs> they work just fine, you know. Um, I think it's. I think it's this rare. Is one it's that very rare work. that a sitcom movie achieves the the level of comedy that the, the series had. I think it's very rare they achieve the peak of the show. I think it's fairly common that they largely capture the essence of the show when it's you know more or less on par. You've got to bear in mind as well, though, that the in betweeners, the series, is shot like a film, and not in front of an audience, not on a set. Whereas most sitcoms, when you're transitioning to a film, you're also completely mm. changing the format and the way it's filmed and the way that the, you bounce yeah. off an audience. So you, you're throwing your actors into an area where they're not used to. And then, Whereas this should translate a lot easier. Yeah, you, you know what? When I say a lot of them are actually decent, I guess that's more a lot of the modern ones are decent because, you know, it's the modern ones that are, you know, modern sitcoms tend to be shot that way uh, rather than three-wall studio sitcoms mm. whereas a lot of the older ones are shit because they were completely redefining the the language of the show but you know i i guess my point is that like this is still quite an enjoyable film and i have a soft spot for it even though it doesn't really work it's it's about 60 percent of what made the tv show work it captures I, I think that's probably fairly accurate yeah i I go magic. along with that number so you know on on that note i i give it a six out of ten if we want to jump into 
into ratings. Well, I, my experience was, you know, we I watched all three series, The Inbetweeners, in the space of about two weeks before we did our um, podcast on it. Then I watched this film and I was pretty annoyed with it. Didn't like it for all the reasons we've talked about. Then I watched The Inbetweeners movie two and suddenly the first one looked a lot better. Huh? Wow. I'm still I'm still going to give it six out of ten. I agree with you. But um, it might have been a lower mark before I watched the second film. <laughs> okay. I, I think, yeah, I, that's a bit harsh, I think. I mean, yeah, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I appreciated it as an add-on to the series and I did watch them kind of all back to back. Uh, I think it does let down its main premise a little bit, but eh, it had some funny moments. I was fine with it. I gave it a fairly flat 7 out of 10. All right, so yeah, that's the Inbetweeners movie there. Now, we are going to talk about the Inbetweeners 2. It's not called the Inbetweeners movie 2. It's just called the Inbetweeners 2. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but we're going to do that on a Diminisode. Available on patreon.com forward slash Tim Returns, where you get access to our bonus episodes. And uh, just as a little tease for you now, Gareth, I think The Inbetweeners 2 is such an improvement. And like, the, the first one's shit, but the second one's good. You're off your head. What mate. do you make of that? Off your Ooh. head. Ooh. Ooh. So- <laughs> we, well, I can't, I, I, this is Beverly Hills Cop 3 all over again. I can't believe it. <laughs> we're we're going to get into it. So head over to Patreon and... and uh, have a have a listen to that. If you want to hear two thirds of our opinions on the series itself, along with pretty decent uh, historical context as to how it came about and how it was received and all that sort of stuff, then check out the British Sitcom History Podcast. Alan, is there a, a place people can go to to? The internet is good. Yeah, the internet. Just Google it. Good. We're at BritcomPod on the socials. 